Hey there, I'm Joshua Johnson, and the nightlight is on. Glad to have you here as we talk about the New Hampshire primaries. What's going to happen on Tuesday when the Republican hopefuls go to the polls? This year is rather unusual compared to previous New Hampshire primaries. There's just not the amount of excitement that there normally is because the front runner seems all but assured. But there's more to know about how Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are dealing with the very strong possibility that Donald Trump will take the state and the nomination. So we're going to break that down in this episode, tell you everything you need to know to make the New Hampshire primaries make sense. This episode was part of a YouTube live stream. You can subscribe to that channel and click the notification bell to find out about upcoming streams and episodes. I'm on YouTube at Nightlight Joshua. The AP has a nice write-up because they do projections, predictions that a lot of news organizations follow, and rightly so. What to expect in the New Hampshire primaries? This is the first, by the way, you may have heard some people say this is the first in the nation primary. That is correct. Remember, Iowa has a caucus, not a primary. So when we say first in the nation, that's, that is indeed what it is. There's some controversy, though, over the fact that it is the first in the nation because of the way that Democrats have changed their primary election calendar. And we'll talk about that in a second. But this is the first primary election of the season. But the Democratic side kind of doesn't sort of count the same way. Donald Trump carried New Hampshire comfortably in the 2016 primary. But as the AP rightly notes, it's not the same as Iowa. Iowa is a more conservative state than New Hampshire. New Hampshire is more moderate than conservative. It has a much more educated population, college-educated population, closer to Massachusetts, which is much more progressive. And there's, there's some back-and-forth transit between Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont. So it's not the same as Iowa. That's why when you and I were talking about the Iowa caucuses not too long ago, I and every other smart politico warned not to make too much of the Iowa caucuses. A, the Iowa caucuses do not often predict the nominee. And B, this is a very different Iowa caucus because of Donald Trump's previous incumbency. The fact that he won and then was unseated and is coming back and has remained in his mind and in the mind of many Republicans, the presumptive front runner changes everything. So it's not like in 2016 where we had, you know, more than a dozen candidates that they willed down to one and Rick Santorum won in 2016. Now it's a very different situation. So even that's not an apples to apples comparison. It's all different. It's different in a number of ways. So you've got Donald Trump, of course, the presumptive front runner in the party, Polling would bear that out, as would the results of the Iowa caucuses, which he won with just over half the vote. You got former U.N. ambassador and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley running against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, both trying to win and keep their campaigns alive. We'll talk about that in a second. Ron DeSantis came in second in Iowa. Nikki Haley was a close third. And now they're starting to look beyond New Hampshire to South Carolina. Ron DeSantis, in particular, is looking very directly towards South Carolina. There were supposed to be debates there, two of them, one on CNN and one on ABC. Both of them were canceled because Donald Trump refuses to take part in debates, which I find questionable at best. And then the two candidates kind of were like, well, yeah, if we want to debate, we want him here on the stage. Nikki Haley has said repeatedly, he should be here. Ron DeSantis has said Trump should be here. So the debates kind of fell apart. But both DeSantis and Haley did candidate town halls in New Hampshire this week, which I watched, which were 
didn't really break a lot of ground. If you've, if you've heard some of what they've been saying up until now, you pretty much know what they said at those candidate town halls, just responding to some of the more recent controversies and recent news stories and, and so on. For instance, when they were in Iowa and there was a school shooting in Iowa, they responded to that in real time. But other than that, policy-wise, their messages have been pretty much consistent across the various town halls, and they haven't really, they've refined their messages in some ways, Nikki Haley in particular. And I think last night at the town hall, which I watched, she did pretty well. I think she didn't get as many applause lines, but that, that's, that's not always the right barometer. I think sometimes silence is a good metric of whether or not you're getting through to someone rather than here in the amen corner off to your left, you know? So I think if you've heard some of what she had been saying, her message has been pretty consistent, and she has tried, I think, fairly successfully, not to focus on the fact that Trump is the presumptive front runner and that he has been throwing dirt at her. So that's kind of background for all of this. Oh, that reminds me of something. Sorry. I want to just grab a link because I don't want to forget it. Um, something that I want to make sure that I, I hang on to, which is relevant to something we're going to talk about in just one second. Hold on just a moment. I'm going to move a link around. Um, there we go. All right. Something relevant to where we're going in just a minute as we deal with Nikki Haley's views on race. Boop. There we go. Into my tab group. I love being able to grab tabs and just hold on to them and drop them when I want them. It's a wonderful system. All right. Back to New Hampshire. What else to look at? Primaries are this Tuesday. The last polls close at 8 p.m. Eastern. Most of them close at 7. Some of them close at 7.30. So it's going to be kind of rolling closures. The networks and the Associated Press probably will not project any races until the last polls close. That's so that people would not be hearing, we're calling the race for so-and-so, while they still have a chance to influence the vote. The Iowa caucuses were different because the caucuses run in a very different way to the primaries. It's not like everyone votes the same way at the same time. Caucuses run in a variety of ways, and so the way that they are projected varies. The way that you can make projections based on the results in different caucusing precincts varies. So in this case, you're not going to hear anything from the networks, reputably anyway, until the last polls close at 8. You may remember that the New Hampshire first-in-the-nation primaries, when they were still first-in-the-nation for both major parties, began in a very small town called Dixville Notch, New Hampshire. It is teeny tiny. It does not reflect the country in general, but they take a lot of pride in being first in the nation. Their polls will open at midnight, and they'll close soon after midnight because there's like, you could probably fit everyone in Dixville Notch into my apartment. Pretty much. So they all show up, they vote, they leave, and that's where the, the big photo op is at the beginning of the, the New Hampshire primaries. There are 24 candidates on the ballot. Don't ask me to name them all. It still has the names of the candidates who dropped out. Chris Christie dropped out just before the Iowa primaries. Vivek Ramaswamy dropped out. Excuse me, the Iowa caucuses. Vivek Ramaswamy dropped out after he had a very poor showing in the Iowa caucuses, as did Asa Hutchinson. Democratic ballot will have an array of names on it, including Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota, who has gained the support of the billionaire investor Bill Ackman. We've been talking about him on the program and his efforts to dismantle DEI programs. 
And also Marianne Williamson, who remains on the ballot. Uh, Cornell West is still on the ballot. He's still running. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is running. Joe Biden, however, will not be listed on the ballot. And the reason he will not be listed on the ballot is because the DNC did not want for New Hampshire to be the first in the nation primary anymore. They moved it to South Carolina. The party has said that now the New Hampshire primary is, in its word, in its words, non-compliant with their current rules, and so it's kind of meaningless. Now, there are leaders in New Hampshire and uh, voters in New Hampshire, Democratic voters in particular, who still want to have Joe Biden get the votes out of New Hampshire. It's a very grassroots effort that's telling people to just write in Joe Biden's name anyway. It doesn't really make a difference, but it kind of gives Joe Biden a victory on paper that shows that people still want to have him as the nominee. They still want to show, particularly because Democrats are not bouncing off and bouncing up and down over the prospect of Joe Biden in office again. Although they, I don't think Democrats hate Joe Biden. I think they're just kind of like, oh, is this what we got right now? And the Republican candidates have been making a lot about having two men in their 80s running for the presidency. There was actually last night, there was a question at the town hall in New Hampshire, the Nikki Haley town hall in New Hampshire, where a guy said, you've been talking a lot about how old the candidates are. That's not a very nice thing to say, especially in a state where there are a lot of people in their 70s and 80s. Isn't that a little bit rude? And Nikki Haley was like, listen, it needs to be said. People are saying it. I am a very transparent person. I I said what I said, and I stand by it. So she didn't really flinch. I have to admit, I have found that question highly problematic in an era where Americans are living longer than ever. I just saw something online, let me see if I can find it really quickly, about the longevity, about our longevity, and it's increasing very, here it is, increasing very dramatically. From the Pew Research Center, they found that the population of centenarians of Americans who are older than 100 is projected over the next 30 years to quadruple. Number of Americans ages 100 and older estimated to be 101,000 people across the country this year projected that are 100 and older. That's projected by the year 2054 to rise to about 422,000 people. Just three hundredths of a percent of the U.S. population is centenarians. That's expected to reach a tenth of a percent. Back in the 50s, there were 2,300 centenarians. Now there's 101,000. So the idea that someone who is getting up there in years is inherently unfit to lead, I don't know how that works for the long term, especially with Americans living longer. I think the question was well-placed. And I don't think she answered that question as well as she should, because the older you are, the more likely you are to vote, just statistically. Why would you want to tell old people that they're not as qualified or as valuable? I question that. I question that. Even now, with you, those of you who are watching, statistically, my audience, I mean, I come out of public media, so my audience is always trended older, and I have never balked at the possibility to serve an audience of people who tend to be in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and above, because they're people. 
What are you going to do? Because grandma reached 85, you take her out in the backyard and put her down like old yeller? Is that the way it works? I, I, it just seems kind of cruel. Grandma, look over there. I think they're playing Lawrence Welk. I love Lawrence Welk. He was one of my favorite programs. I can't see him out in the distance. Like, is that what we do? Just take you out back and plug you? No. Just because you're old doesn't mean you're useless. And I wonder how the conversation about age and utility is going to evolve as more Americans live longer. Lord willing, you'll and you and I will have very long lives and we'll get a chance to be all and crotchety. You remember when you used to have to actually touch a phone to make a phone call? Yes, I remember. That was before we all got implanted with our little microchips. That's going to be a lovely day when you and I are old enough to have that conversation. But if we're going to get to that point, we may need to reshift the conversation about who is fit to lead and why. Remember, Joe Biden made the argument that he was fit to lead not only because he had very different views from Donald Trump, but because he had so much experience in Washington that would allow him to get things done. And guess what? That turned out to be true. He has gotten a lot done, whether it's COVID funding or the Inflation Reduction Act or infrastructure funding or preventing government shutdowns or making deals with, with Republicans at a time when the party's right flank was kind of trying to rip the party apart and grind Congress to a halt. Whether you like what Joe Biden has done or not, he's been effective. He has gotten things done. Has he gotten everything done well? Hell no. The pullout from Afghanistan, I think, is going to haunt him. And his policy on Israel with younger voters appears to be haunting him now. So that may be one area in which age is not a benefit because it could put him at odds with the mainstream of the voters that his party is trying to get to show up at the polls. That could be a problem. I don't know if that's as effective on the Republican side as much as it's a problem on the Democratic side. Who knows? But the whole thing about age, I don't know how you feel about it. Tell me how you feel. But I didn't, I feel like that argument is gonna, I feel like that argument is gonna get challenging very quickly. Nora, I see your comment on YouTube. Nora writes, the capacity of folks diverges rapidly after about 35. Mileage is the issue. Yes, I think that's a better way to put it, Nora. I don't think it's so much just about your age, but about your capacity. I think the real issue is that for their ages, Joe Biden seems like an older man. He seems more wizened as a man. Donald Trump is just kind of loud, boisterous, kind of over the top, like he's always been. Much less coherent. I think he's sort of all over the place. If you try to watch one of his speeches or an interview, it, it's, it bounces all over the place. I, read, I was reading through the transcript of what he said at the ellipse at the White House on January 6th, 2021, right before the mob had became a mob and went to the U.S. Capitol. It's really hard to read. He was really all over the place. Look at the transcript sometime. He's absolutely all over the place. So maybe it's more like capacity and more like mileage than just your age. I would not, um, you know, I'm not going to tell uh, Tina Turner to get off the stage. God rest her. You know, I, Dolly Parton's birthday is today. I think she's turning, she just turned 78, dropped four new tracks on her latest album, the rock album that she did. No one's going to look at Dolly Parton and say that she's over the hill because she's kicking. She's doing her thing. But she's doing her thing, right? She performed at an NFL playoff game recently, just dropped an album of rock music. That is a different kind of age, I think, than age. And I think if you are aged as opposed to just kind of seasoned 
and and able to stay like Tina Turner, sharp, seasoned, and sexy. You know, then that's 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 a totally different thing. Because um, I don't think anybody looked at at her in her later years and said she needs to stop, you know, singing Proud Mary because she could still, you know, she could still do it. You know, it's, we never, we never ever do nothing nice and easy. We always do it nice and rough. And we loved her because she had that longevity and she still had it, you know. But we're gonna take the beginning of this song and do it easy. Oh, we miss you, Tina. We miss you so much. Wasn't I just talking about the New Hampshire primary? Let me get back to work. So the New Hampshire primary, a few other things you should know. First of all, it's different from the Iowa caucuses and from a number of other primaries and caucuses in that you don't have to be a Republican to vote in the Republican primary in New Hampshire. You can't be a Democrat. Democrats have to vote in the Democratic primary. But independent or unaffiliated, unaffiliated voters in New Hampshire can vote in either primary. You can also register on primary day, but the deadline to change your party affiliation has long since passed. If you are 17 and you will be 18 on the November general election day, you can vote in the primary, which I think is also cool. In terms of delegates, New Hampshire has 22 Republican National Convention delegates. There are more than 1,200 RNC delegates. This is not the same as the Electoral College. These are the delegates who go to the convention and say, New Hampshire, the granite state, the great state, next to Massachusetts with its beautiful mountains and, um, and clear blue lakes, select so-and-so. That's those delegates who show up at the convention. They award delegates proportional to their share of the statewide vote, but you gotta get at least 10% to qualify for any delegates. Any delegates who are not allocated go to the statewide winner, and they are not allocated by congressional district. That's on the Republican side. Democrats, they're not allocating any delegates based on the results of the primary because they're out of order. And the, and the DNC said that's, that's not how this is going to go. Last time around, one more thing about this, and then I'll keep it moving. Donald Trump, 2016, won the New Hampshire primary with 35% of the vote. Next nearest was Ohio Governor John Kasich. He more than doubled up on him. Did the best in heavily Republican areas. Some of those he beat Kasich nearly four to one. Obviously didn't do as well as, this, as in the state's heavily Democratic areas. So he's got, a little, he's got a little bit of a base there. That might also give a clue as to what Nikki Haley will do because Nikki Haley won one of Iowa's 99 counties. 98 of Iowa's counties went for Donald Trump. One of them went for Nikki Haley. It was Johnson County, which is Iowa City, which is the home of the University of Iowa. She beat Ron DeSantis by a point, one vote, basically, in Johnson County. So she might do better in parts of New Hampshire that have a more progressive base or that have a more college-educated base, maybe, possibly. But we'll see. We will see how that goes. So Joe Biden is not on the ballot. A lot of other candidates are on the ballot. If you take a look at the most recent polling out of New Hampshire, you can see, and I'll bring this up from NBC10, which is the NBC station in Boston. They do a poll with the Boston Globe and Suffolk University. Just released these results this morning. This new poll puts Donald Trump at 52%. Here, I'll enlarge this a bit puts Donald Trump at 52%, which is two points higher than he had polled in the poll's first few days. Nikki Haley dropped one point. She is now at 35%. Ron DeSantis is well behind them both. 
6%. Now, bear in mind also, Nikki Haley's been working hard to get support in New Hampshire. Ron DeSantis had focused on Iowa. And now, according to the New York Times, he has already kind of moved on to working on his infrastructure in South Carolina. He's sort of decamped already. Let me see if I can find the Times just had a write-up on that. There we go. Ron DeSantis quietly starting to build his off-ramp from 2024. That's the latest reporting from the New York Times. An off-ramp from the race, not just moving on to South Carolina, but possibly moving on from this race. Here's how the New York Times put it. So far this week, Mr. DeSantis has cast his eyes forward to 2028 with anecdotes about Trump supporters saying they would vote for him next time around if he runs again in four years. He has conceded that Mr. Trump's thumping victory in Iowa on Monday made for, quote, a good showing in terms of him winning the nomination, unquote. And he has openly admitted that he believes he made a strategic mistake by icing out the traditional media earlier in the campaign. It all amounted to a kind of frankness that Mr. DeSantis has not always shown in his public comments about the nominating contest and a marked change in tone for a candidate who spent most of last year brashly promising he would win in Iowa, which he lost by 30 points. On Thursday, yesterday, the conservative radio host Hugh Hewitt asked Mr. DeSantis if his campaign would survive through the end of March. The Florida governor replied that things were not necessarily going to plan. That's from the New York Times. So he might feel like the writing's kind of on the wall for his campaign, at least this campaign. And I remember when he said that during his town hall this week, when he said, oh, yeah, maybe we'll vote for you next time around. I was like, what? (laughs) Next time? All the money you spent this time and they might vote for you next time around. Really? Maybe. He might actually have some ground to stand on with that. I don't think he's necessarily knocked out. And I think he's learned the lesson of other people like Joe Biden, for example, who ran for the presidency before, lost until he won. You know, there's all kinds of Abraham Lincoln lost races over and over until he became the president. It's that old expression. I forget who said it. Was it Henry Ford or Michael Jordan? I forget who it was. I failed Michael Jordan. I failed over and over and over again. And that is why I succeed. I don't see why Ron DeSantis couldn't come back in a few years. I mean, how old is he? He's not, he's probably about my age, isn't he? Ron DeSantis is, bear with me, 45. Yeah, born in September 1978. So he's not that much older than me. He could totally run again. And if he remains kind of politically consistent to what he is now, which I don't see why he wouldn't be, he could easily run again. So this Suffolk NBC 10 Boston Globe poll might just kind of be a point and not a pattern if he continues continues in Republican political circles and he you know keeps his nose clean and there aren't any scandals or whatever. But at the moment for New Hampshire, according to this poll, he's a distant third, 6% for the second straight day. 1% shows somebody different, 4% undecided, and 1% refused to answer. By the way, that poll has a margin of error of 4.4%. There's also a new poll from St. Anselm College in New Hampshire that came out earlier this week in terms of what happened when other candidates dropped out of the race. And according to this particular poll, let me break down some of the results here, it finds that the big beneficiary of that was Nikki Haley. When Chris Christie dropped out and Vivek Ramaswamy dropped out, 60%, 60% 
of respondents say that they have changed who they'll support based on candidates suspending their campaigns. Or 60% of those who said they would change their support moved to Nikki Haley. 60%. Donald Trump got a boost from the Iowa caucuses. Again, this is according to the St. Anselm poll. Half of the respondents who changed their support based on Iowa moved to Trump. That's based on the Iowa results. So Donald Trump's support in the St. Anselm poll has gone up seven points since last week, since Iowa. So he went from plurality support in New Hampshire to majority support in New Hampshire, according to the St. Anselm poll. Ron DeSantis, flat, 6%. Same as the Suffolk, Boston Globe, NBC 10 poll, 6%. So, and that was a poll with a margin of error of 2.6%, so a, a stronger margin of error there. But yeah, it's it looks pretty consistent in terms of Trump having inc- continually strong support, which we sort of expected, Nikki Haley trying to gain some ground, and then Ron DeSantis well in the back, well behind them. But I don't know if that will be the way it always goes. And I don't know if that is enough to just stick a fork in Ron DeSantis. Because Nikki Haley is also going to have to fight for South Carolina, where South Carolina's political leaders are endorsing Donald Trump. She was the governor of South Carolina. She's from South Carolina. It doesn't look like she's going to get that endorsement. One of South Carolina's leaders, who was about to line up behind Donald Trump, appears to be one of his former competitors. Tim Scott, Republican senator from South Carolina, one of the four black senators in the U.S. Senate right now, four, five, I believe it's four, apparently he is going to endorse former President Trump today or tonight at an event in New Hampshire that's being increasingly widely supported. I've seen reports of that from a couple different places. So Tim Scott, who is a South Carolinian who represents South Carolina, if he's coming out for Trump instead of Haley, that raises another set of questions about how viable she's going to be going forward. I don't know if she's going to have much of a path forward, but we'll see. We'll see. Let me get to some of your questions and comments before I take a break, and then we'll talk more about Nikki Haley and race in just a moment. Christy watching on Facebook. Hello, Christy. Good to have you with us today. Christy asks, will Trump's choice for VP sink or swim him? I don't know that it's going to make a difference. I don't know that if, partly because of his last VP, right? Mike Pence ran against him last time. Mike Pence was an extremely good choice for a vice president. You couldn't have pulled a better VP choice out of central casting than Mike Pence. I thought that was exactly the right choice because Mike Pence was never going to say anything that contradicted what Donald Trump was going to say or do, and he was never going to upstage Donald Trump. So I think now that you have kind of cast that die, I don't know who is going to be the right background player for him. There were a number of people in his administration who did not survive because they ended up getting too much attention or differing with him in some ways, whether it was Rex Tillerson as the Secretary of State, Sean Spicer as his press secretary, who kind of started, you know, catching a case, catching cases right after the inauguration, largest crowd, period. Like, uh, that didn't work well. I mean, it doesn't pay to upstage him. 
And I don't know who the VP is going to be that will just kind of sink into the background properly. But I don't think it's going to make a difference at this point. Remember, Donald Trump's relationship to the Republican Party is very different now than it was in 2016 or through his administration. He is the presumptive nominee for the party, despite what Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are trying to make happen. So it may not even matter. I saw someone online kind of ruminate that Tucker Carlson could be the VP. I do not believe that is going to happen because Tucker Carlson has, I think, more power and authority outside the government than he would inside, and he would be subject to hella scrutiny just by being part of the ticket. But I don't think it's I don't think it's going to matter that much. I think it will absolutely matter how Democratic voters view Kamala Harris as part of Joe Biden's ticket. I think that if you believe that he's this doddering old man who's kind of on his last legs, then the VP matters a whole lot. But but we'll see. We'll see. Holly on YouTube writes, DeSantis was not enough of a visionary to see a few months into the future. I'm not confident in his ability to read tea leaves four years out. I grant you that. And I think a lot of people have looked at his campaign now and said he was a bit overconfident in his ability to sort of make the kind of inroads he thought he could make. I don't know what he's seeing, but again... Time has a really powerful way of kind of washing people's memories. So in a couple of years, it may not make a difference. It really might not make a difference for him in a few years. I don't think he's going to be as viable as he would like to think, but we'll see. We'll see. I will show you, by the way, uh, the latest poll summary <coughs> from Real Clear Politics, from Real Clear Polling. They just keep track of the various top-line polls of the race as it stands right now. I showed you some of it. In the Marist College poll, they have more head-to-head matchups. Uh, Rasmussen, I would not regard. Rasmussen's polling standards are not as strong. When when I was at NBC News, we had a list of the polls that we considered the most reputable based on the way the polls were conducted, the sample sizes, the margins of error. Rasmussen did not make the list. So I'm going to ignore that one. But Marist does. Head-to-head, Marist puts Biden versus Trump in New Hampshire. Biden remains ahead by seven points. Again, in New Hampshire specifically. Also, in New Hampshire, if you make it Biden-Trump-Kennedy, Kennedy siphons points off of Biden and Trump. Kennedy's got 12 points, but it's still Biden ahead by three. So it's much closer if we include Robert F. Kennedy Jr. In a Nikki Haley-Joe Biden race, Nikki Haley wins by three points. That's something she's been talking about on the campaign trail, too, that when it comes to Trump-Biden, it's much closer than Haley-Biden. That is correct, at least according to this poll. And that was part of the argument she was making, saying, look, you don't need Donald Trump this time around. I agree with many of his policies, but I come with all of the pleasure and none of the guilt, basically, none of the drama that is following Donald Trump. Whether that argument will be persuasive, we'll see. Biden-DeSantis, Joe Biden wins by nine points. Those are some of the other poll results that are out right now. Remember, the New Hampshire primary is Tuesday. We will talk about it Wednesday after it happens here on the program. Hey, thanks for listening to today's show. Be sure to write a review of this episode. If you would please let me know what you thought. That'll help other people find the show too. Remember to follow me on YouTube at Nightlight Joshua. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitch, Threads, Facebook, Substack, and check out the merch in my online store. You'll find all those links online at nightlightjoshua.com. 
So until we meet again, I'm Joshua Johnson. Thank you so much for making time for me. And please keep on shining because someone somewhere needs your light right now. <laughs>